Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hi, everybody. I'm Eric Arno, and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast. It's now late October, and you know what that means. It's time for our annual batch of horror stories. This is the first half of the live show we recorded last night at the Beat Kitchen, and man, was it a great time. It really felt like those old upstairs gallery shows from 2012, uh, which is appropriate because a bunch of our old friends came out to talk with us. So thank you so much to everybody who went to the show, and especially huge thanks to our wonderful storytellers for this episode, who are Mike Chuck Bretzliff, Mikkel Galladay, Anna Marsh, and Katie Johnston-Smith. There's also music from myself and Katie. Uh, Heads up, we're coming up on the end of our podcast year, which runs November through October, which means we're about to start voting for favorite pieces of 2017. Uh, I'll have some info on that, plus exciting news about our upcoming shows in a couple weeks, so stay tuned for that. Uh, Until then, you can always enjoy our other pods at nerdalogs.com or on Apple Podcasts. We've got lots of other cool stuff out there for you, and a super sweet way to show your enjoyment is to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, The new iOS update that came out like a week ago makes that super easy. You can just tap a star rating on the show screen. Uh, We'd really appreciate you doing that. It helps more people find our stuff. And of course, we really appreciate you. Thanks so much for listening, friend. Now let's get spooky. All right, thank you all for coming out. Uh, I kind of wish the show was yesterday, so it'd be like dark and stormy, and it'd be very appropriate. Uh, but we're gonna make it spooky as fuck in here tonight. So this is our yeah, it's our annual uh, Halloween show. We are weirdly the only piece of entertainment that does an annual Halloween show. Isn't that weird? Yeah, uh, nobody else does. It. Nobody else. Does. There's certainly not like a 27 year running series called Treehouse of Horror. <laughs> Never heard of that I before. Um. <laughs> God, Simpsons has been on for fucking ever. It'll outlive all of us. Think about that. <laughs> we will all die, and Simpsons will be going strong. Um, so we always play songs at the top of the show. Before we start, I want to give a special shout-out to our dear friend Becca Brown. Uh, she is the, uh, a member of our band. She was supposed to be here tonight, and this is going to be her going-away show, because she's moving to L.A. to be in the L.A. production of Spamilton, which is really cool. Is, she's really good in that show. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. 
Uh, and then she got bronchitis this morning. So, really, what is scarier than the American health system? I, I don't know what. But we're, we're gonna play this song in tribute to Becca. Her first thing she ever did at Your Stories was a No Doubt song, and this also the title fits the the theme literally. And the message fits the theme metaphorically, and it feels very on point for this week, doesn't it? Sure does. Yeah. Hey, if you're a dude, don't harass people, all I mean, right? If you're anybody, don't harass well, anybody. Good. Even better. If you're anybody, don't harass anybody. <laughs> it seems more like it tends to go one way versus the other. True. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hashtag not all women, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see your tits. <laughs> this got really inappropriate. Katie's not usually like this, guys.
some stories tonight. Hell yeah, we got some stories. We got eight beautiful, wonderful people who are going to share some shit up here, and that's what this night is all about. It's not about me and Katie, even though I know we're wonderful, and you wish we could play forever. We can't. We will be back. But first, coming to the stage, this gentleman is a longtime veteran of the Nerdalogs Your Stories. Um, he is the head of a great charity in Chicago called Chicago Loot Drop. Uh, they help raise money for kids at uh, Comer Children's Hospital, and they have an event coming up in November that... I bet he's going to tell you about. Uh, also, in case you can't see his shirt, this man really, really loves donuts. Please welcome Mike Chuck. Thank you, Eric. I do love donuts. As Eric was saying before the show, my Instagram is like food porn, for, but just for donuts. Um, all right. Uh, hi. Yeah, I'm Mike Chuck uh, from Chicago Loot Drop, and I'm going to tell you real quick about uh, an event we have coming up on November 11th. That's 11-11, and it's called, for those here and not those at home who can't see the giant poster I'm holding up, uh, it's called Button Mesh, and it is an arcade game and beer pairing event where we co- grab some beers from Evolution doing a tap takeover, and we pair them with arcade games at Emporium and Wicker Park, and pair them together to really bring out the flavors and the gameplay of the beer and the game. If that sounds like a dumb concept to you, you're not wrong, but it's for charity. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you can check us out online, chicagolootrop.org. Um, tickets are $25 uh, in advance, 30 at the door, so uh, I don't know what to tell you either. to get them in advance, so I know you're coming, or you're at the door. So we make more money. Uh, and that money actually goes to University of Chicago Comer Children's Hospital to buy uh, books and toys and games for the kids at Comer. Um, so hopefully I'll see you all out there. I have many of those posters as well as little 4 by 6 flyers. Um, if anyone wants some, uh, I will be happy to give you some. And if you take some posters, I have tape for you as well if you're going to be so kind as to actually like, go out and hang those. Um, story. I have a story. Okay. Uh, let me pull up on my phone. Should be the thing that's right open. Maybe not. <laughs> um, so, this story. Uh, in the tradition of the horror genre, uh, my story tonight is a sequel to the one I told last year. Uh, so this is Games That Scare Me Too. <laughs> Games of the Dead. <laughs> Tagline, when there's no more room... On your memory card. (laughs) Okay, so last year I talked about stealth games. Uh, That scared me. So this year I'm going to talk about zombie games, Uh, which is weird because I'm not even scared of real zombies. And I know they're not a thing, (laughs) but don't crush my dreams. (laughs) My dark, depressing dreams. Okay, so the first game is Resident Evil. Uh, Now, I didn't play the original one. Uh, so I can't really say how scary it was, but what, from what I've seen of the graphics and the campy acting slash writing, probably not so much. Uh, now, my introduction to the series was the, like, high definition or whatever you want to call it, remake for the GameCube, which is really scary at first. Um, but as you master the challenge of the game, uh, not only does the difficulty of the game drop, so does the terror that it instills. Um, in it, you're trapped inside a dilapidated mansion filled with zombies and other monsters. Atmosphere-wise, very unsettling and scary, plus a lot of jump scares. Um, so you can play as either Chris Redfield 
or Jill Valentine, members of this elite anti-terrorism unit called STARS. Uh, Jill is great, and I don't want to speak ill of her, so I'm just going to focus on the game's flaws via Chris. Um, so in Resident Evil 1, Chris is actually about my size, uh, maybe a bit bigger. Um, but by the fifth game, uh, you are like the most jacked dude imaginable. <laughs> it's like WWE superstar attitude era The Rock <laughs> versus present day Hollywood superstar Dwayne Johnson. Uh, somehow he got bigger and handsomer as he got older for a job that doesn't require tossing around wrestlers that weigh hundreds of pounds. Um, he's basically the Paul Rudd of pro wrestling, and I would definitely be all in on a Paul Rudd wrestling movie. Um, so at my size, let alone Resident Evil 5 size, Chris, uh, I'm pretty sure I could fuck up some zombies. Uh, even without my metal t-ball bat named Vigilance, that I have just in case of zombies. <laughs> It's not a joke thing. Uh, <laughs> so you think Redfield, with his elite military and SWAT training, that dude could fuck up some zombies. But no, because to make a zombie, let alone several zombies, scary for him and you, the player, the controls in the game are absolutely horrible. So, uh, question for all of you. How do you kill a zombie? Destroy the brain, yes. Uh, Shoot in the head, destroy the brain. Uh, Well, the game designers decided that it'd be fun if they made that really hard. Um, So despite Chris's extensive training, you could get headshots by aiming at the ceiling. Uh, Excuse me. Uh, You can aim at the chest, you can aim at the ceiling, or you can aim at the floor. So you could get headshots by aiming at the ceiling if you pull the trigger right when the zombie is is within that, you know, in-your-face do-or-die territory for kissing. Eyes locked, <laughs> breath intermingling, pulse racing. Your inner monologue is screaming at you, just go for it! Then and only then is when you fire. Um, and since you're aiming above the zombie's head, apparently you're hitting it with a magical ricochet off of the ceiling. Uh, then once you're good at bouncing bullets around like they're Captain America's shield, then it's time to fuck up some zombies, right? Nope. Bullets are in very limited supply. So, you have two other choices. One, you can get in awkward knife fights with zombies, the likes of which are usually only seen in a high school production of West Side Story. (laughs) Or two, you can just run around the zombies. Um, Because between shooting, stabbing, and running, running is the thing that you suck at least. Um, And so then avoiding combat ends up being the trick to the game. And once you figure that out, it's not really scary anymore. Now, Undying Light, a game that came out only a couple years ago, uh, went in the exact opposite direction when it comes to movement and combat. <laughs> set, in the city in the, set in a city in the middle of a quarantine due to a, you know, little light zombie apocalypse, uh, the designers behind this game thought to themselves, what do zombie games need? Parkour! <laughs> and they were right! <laughs> and with the power of parkour! <laughs> oh yeah, you can fuck up some zombies or avoid them entirely as you run and jump along the rooftops because parkour! Uh, The other main mechanic, mechanic, which ties to the game's title, is a day-night cycle. Uh, Once night falls, super zombies come out that can sprint as fast as you can and also have the power of parkour! (laughs) And once one sees you, 
all of them in the immediate area pursue you with the stubbornness, the stubbornness of, well, zombies. Um, the first time they're introduced uh, and you have to get a safe to a safe house for the night is one of the most terrifying game memories of my life. Uh, you're feeling your way around in the pitch black, unable to even use your flashlight for a moment, while doing your best to avoid the regular zombies that are everywhere, because either of these things will draw the attention of the super zombies. So I slowly and blindly crawl through the city streets, climbing up to the once safe but now dangerous rooftops when I can. And then I fuck up and the chase is on. I am sprinting and parkouring for my life, not taking the time to look back to see if they're close because they're fucking Nazgul screams. Let me know they are right behind me and I am not going to make it to Buckleberry Ferry on time. (laughs) But through experience plus skill and equipment upgrades, which includes night vision and what's essentially Batman's grapple hook, uh, even this becomes manageable. Um, And then in some downloadable content, you end up going underground into nests of these super zombies. Terrifying, but eventually manageable, and then kind of boring. Um, And that's the trouble with horror. Uh, Finding new ways to horrify you once old ways no longer have an effect. Uh, But until my dreams of an actual zombie apocalypse, uh, I guess the games are going to be enough for me and Vigilance. Thank you. Thank you, Mike Chuck. Everybody, please go to Button Mash. Mike Chuck, I want to know, does your titanium baseball bat, could it take out super zombies? Uh, no, I don't think it can. No? Can you parkour? Dude, you got to get on that. The super zombies are coming. It's only a matter of time. My knees will not allow me to parkour. Oh, no. We'll miss you, Mike Chuck. Coming next. Thank you very much for that story. Coming next to the stage. This dude hasn't done the show since, man, 2012, I think. So stoked to have him back. A friend of mine back when we both lived in the south suburbs. Now we're both in the city. Guys, change can't happen. It's a wonderful thing. Please welcome Mikhail Galladay. Galladay. Yeah. What's up, man? What's up, man? All right. So fitting with the theme, I wanted to tell a story about the scariest people in the world. Other than Republicans, <laughs> goths. So there is a club in Chicago called Neo. Yeah. It's uh yeah, see, people know about it. Uh, it's a, it's a goth club. Now I first went there a couple of years back. Didn't really know what to expect. I was expecting like oh, like you know, industrial music, dark, gritty kind of place. And that's exactly what it was. You had to go down the alley to get in there, go down a flight of stairs. There's like industrial music playing. It's all dark and moody. The bathroom is like safely dirty. <laughs> Basically, it's like a set of a Blade movie towards the beginning where he had to go in and like rough up some vampires to get some info about the bigger, badder vampire. <laughs> and the first time I went, I didn't really know what to expect. And I ended up being kind of fascinated by what I saw. There's like, everyone there is a character. Like, the there was, like, some dude who looked like Uncle Jesse, and he danced. Like, everybody has their own dance. Everyone. And he danced. Like, he, like, kind of pranced around, but every move went back to slicking back his perfectly coiffed hair. And there was, like, this dude I call Wolf Boy because he, he dressed like a character from Streets of Rage, but he, like, all his moves were, like, wolf-based. He, like, had, like, he's, like, baring his teeth, and he had claws, and I'm, like... All right, I don't get your aesthetic, but it's cool, man. <laughs> and then there was um, 
this guy who I call the mad conductor is like a guy who clearly just came from work and this was the place he went to just like release all the fucking stress of the day. So he just stood in the back of the club and he was like guiding like the most intense symphony ever. Hands are going nuts and he's like running his hands through his hair. He, it was fucking awesome, honestly. And then there was like Mr. Cash, tall old guy dressed in all black with a cowboy hat. He kind of moved like he was doing Tai Chi, but his own made up Tai Chi. And you know, the first time I went, it was pretty fun, like for people watching experience. But like, you know, after a while, I kind of got fascinated by it because it's like, yo, these people are expressing themselves better than most other people around. They're like, they know who they are and they know what they want to do, and they're, you're fucking doing it. It was great. So the next year, I go back, and I witnessed the most magical thing in fucking existence, honestly. <laughs> so me and my buddy right here, Ernst, we get there a little early. The rest of our group isn't there yet. So we're sitting on this, like, funky U-shaped couch, and no one's dancing. Everybody's just kind of doing their own thing. Then suddenly this dude appears. He's, like, six foot eight, or he might, might, might be shorter. I'm a short guy, so I might be exaggerating height. I don't know. But, um... He was clearly the boss vampire. He's the guy that Blade would have totally had to fuck up to get the info. And, again, nobody's dancing. He gets in the middle of the floor, and he starts going at it. Like, he's dancing as if the concept of dance killed his family. And the only, <laughs> and the only way to get revenge is to beat dance at its own game. <laughs> he's going nuts for, like, a solid five minutes by himself. Like some weird reverse Moses shit. The entire floor swarms and floods in. Everybody's just going nuts all of a sudden. And me and Ernst are sitting like, okay, what? <laughs> and then while this is going on, the crowd parts a little bit. He walks over to the U-shaped couch we're sitting on. He sits at like the bottom. He goes to the bottom of the U. And in one motion, he spins around, sits down, puts his hands on his knees, and just watches the floor. Like a predator waiting for like the correct moment to strike dance once again. And after about 10 minutes, I guess his jam comes on. Because this dude, and I shit you not, he dive rolls back onto the dance floor and stands up and <laughs> extends his hands and spins around, then proceeds to fuck shit up all over again. Then he leaves. <laughs> like, this dude set the party off and just got the fuck out. <laughs> And we're sitting there like, no one's going to believe we just saw that. And I still don't think everybody else does. It was the greatest night of my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where is Neo? Where is this called? Oh, now it's um, in Wicker Park. It's in uh, a Social Club. Oh, nice. What are you guys doing after the show tonight? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. The king's not there. I really don't know. <laughs> yeah, you got to go meet the boss now, right? right. Pay, pay respect. <laughs> guys, next to the stage, oh, we've got just a slew of people who've been away for a while and have come back, and that makes me really happy. So this woman is uh, professionally an uh, A&R rep in music, so if you guys have like music licensing needs, she is the person to talk to. I don't know if you would, but hey, maybe you do. It's a really fascinating world. Also, a really great friend of mine, super excited to have her on the show tonight. Please welcome Anna Marsh. Yes. I've been trying to get her to come for a while, right? Uh, yeah, this is usually stuff that I only tell people when I'm drunk, and I made the mistake <laughs> of telling somebody who has a podcast this <laughs> There is a bar downstairs. <laughs> you can get drunk again. <laughs> yeah. 
So I sat down in bed one evening back when I was about 16 or so, uh, excited to jump into the new Chuck Klosterman book I had just picked up. Uh, it started off pretty typical. He's immediately ranting about the sex pistols and how everyone from Spin Magazine makes fun of his khaki shorts and his obsession with his CD collection. And then I get to this chapter uh, where he decides to hit me with this crazy piece of knowledge. He wrote... French military surgeon Jules Cotard lived only 49 years, but he will be forever remembered for discovering one of nature's most sincerely fucked up mental illnesses. Cotard syndrome is a mental disorder where the victim concludes that he or she is dead. Sometimes the symptoms are more specific. Patients believe they are missing certain internal organs, or that there is no blood in their veins, or that they have lost their soul. However, the, only, the ultimate manifestation of Cotard syndrome is the victim's unshakable conviction that he or she does not exist. It's not that these people fear they're dying, it's they're certain they're already dead. As soon as I read that, I draw my book and immediately thought to myself, holy shit, someone with Cotard syndrome should fall in love with a necrophiliac. <laughs> <laughs> This premise has since become an almost decade-long attempt at uh, turning this into a story and developing these two characters and figuring out how these severely ill social outcasts could form a connection that was actually really quite beautiful and one that's as genuine as any classic love story. But I couldn't just take out a notebook and start putting my ideas down. That would have been too easy. I had it in my head that I wanted it to be a film, and I think mostly because I had this idea for some cool goth bands to do the soundtrack for. <laughs> R.I.P. Neo. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, that's what I set out to do. I, I wanted to create a film for it, so I bought some screenwriting books, I torrented Final Draft, I tried to figure out how to write a screenplay. Um, I was also trying to do a bunch of research on the character's diseases, um, but one thing that I was really struggling with was how to get inside the mind of a necrophiliac, which is when I decided that maybe there's some porn out there I should try to watch on the topic. Uh, it turns out that's illegal. <laughs> and the next thing I know, I'm researching how to hack your browser to access foreign porn sites. <laughs> I totally understand why that's banned now. <laughs> I also tried to get more involved with people in the film scene, so I started going out to film festivals, I set up some meetings with professors um, for guidance, um, and then got connected with a few producers to pitch, uh, to pitch my treatment to. Um, the reception was pretty hit or miss. Um, people would be like, so it's a, it's a horror movie? Is it, is it a, like a snuff film? And I'm like, no, it's the love story <laughs> but I did have a few people who were super on board with my ideas and it gave me the motivation to keep working on it so after months of writing and <clears throat> having main, my main points down I sent the script over to the producers who were helping me out so I can get some of their notes on it and I didn't really get notes from them back per se um, the reaction was more so just sort of a laughing in my face of how I pretty much totally disregard the entire purpose of what a screenplay is for. Uh, turns out I basically wrote a novel with a bunch of indented lines and then changed the font to Corey. <laughs> like, I wrote one of my scene headings in poetry form because I just thought that would look cool. <laughs> and even though I knew that the time of day is supposed to be in all caps and separated by two spaces and a hyphen, I guess it wasn't going to fly with them. 
So this is where my dreams of having a groundbreaking romantic box office hit about necrophilia came to an end. <laughs> but despite some of the horror stories that my love story brought about, um, these characters really grew to become a very real part of my life, and, and they felt like people who have been with me since I was a teenager at this point, and you know, we had faced all these challenges together, and so I haven't stopped writing about them. Granted, it's in novel form now, but I came to enjoy the journey it's led me on so much that if it takes me another 10 years and another round of failed attempts to get it published, I don't know. I think I'd be okay with keeping those crazy characters in my life for a little while longer. Everybody, would you guys read that novel? I would read that novel. Hell yeah, we got some moves out there. All right, Anna said she wouldn't put this in the actual story, but I'm allowed to ask her. Anna, who, who was it who bought your screenplay? Huey Lewis's son. Huey Lewis's son. I guess it was not the new drug that he needed. Oh, not Huey Lewis fans out there. Huh? All right, that's all right. Slow news day, huh? No. Oh. <laughs> yes, Jeremy, with the tag. Uh, guys, we have one more storyteller this half, then we're going to take a quick break and ruminate on everything that we have heard so far. And we can go drink. Bee Kitchen has been a wonderful venue to us, so please support them. Uh, but please first put your hands together for someone you've already seen up here, what I know. This is from the Nerdalogs, from this keyboard, Katie Johnston Smith. <laughs> Keyboard is my mother, my birth mother. Um, cool. Hi, I'm Katie Johnson Smith. Um, and if I look at myself in the mirror long enough, sometimes I can see like a troll shaped monster lurking behind my own eyes. Yeah. And I shrug it off thinking, well, at least my troll isn't a willfully ignorant, closed minded bigot. Um, and then in moments of frust frustration with this country's current political climate, I unleash my troll into the social media scape, thinking it will bring me at least a moment of fleeting relief. And it never does. <laughs> As trolls on the other side of the argument match researched reason from me and my troll with uh, parroted propaganda-based rhetoric on their side, um, I feel very defeated. <laughs> the other side's trolls see my troll as a godless, arrogant baby killer, words they would not say to my actual non-troll face. And while the non-troll version of myself would likely not call them a Sith Lord to their face, um, I hope that in person I would uh, not be afraid to intelligently challenge objectively ignorant statements about race and sexuality. The current political climate in the U.S. is terrifying. Most everyone is unsettled by it, and most everyone is scared. The advent of social media has conditioned both liberal millennials and their conservative aunts to share <laughs> to share whatever dumb thought pops into their head while they're drunk at a wine convention at 4 p.m. on a Saturday. <laughs> Using a phone to troll tweet is easy. But using that same phone to have a meaningful civil conversation with a person that uh, you both love and wholeheartedly disagree with is honestly frightening. Our inner trolls are not going to unite this country. And while it's being pitted against itself um, like a uh, bad reality show, our inner humans will. 
I'm going to try my best to keep my inner troll at bay because no matter how wrong I think someone my aunt is, um, <laughs> or how much I disagree with them, my aunt, um, <laughs> my point will never come across well if delivered from a place of drunken 4 p.m. wine convention anger. Thank you. <laughs> You know what's funny about that is literal trolls probably do eat babies. So if, if you ever let that troll too far out, you might want to put any babies away. Just watch out for those trolls, guys. Um, so when Becca got sick, we had to improvise a little bit. So I'm going to take this one alone. Uh, you guys ever play Rock Band? Yeah. yeah all right. Uh, cool. I'm going to try to gold star this shit. Not just five. Got to get the gold, baby. It's not like Iron Maiden or anything, so it'll be pretty easy. Cease to resist, giving my goodbye. Someone knows it. Hell yeah. Drive my car into the ocean. You think I'm dead, but I'll sail away. the crustaceans could find my way to Mariana This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.